Hey everybody, thanks for joining me on this week's episode of Music the Bed of Life. Today I am with an incredible musician by the name of Chris Comer. Now I myself didn't even know who this was and it's a shame because the man is amazing. I happened to get lucky and ran into one of his cousins that uh, introduced me to him. So without further ado, I'm actually going to just talk straight through all that introduction and we'll just jump right to it. How you doing today, Chris? I'm good, Tony. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'll tell you, um, as you probably well know, I was introduced to you by your cousin, who was part of the Bentley Project and also plays French horn and harp and piano. <laughs> you guys are talented. Yeah, we didn't even know each other till we were uh, seniors in high school, too. Funny, funnily enough, she's my second cousin. Wow. So you had no we idea were... you were both going off the same path there. Right, until we ended up with uh, playing in the Kansas City Youth Symphony together, and she was first chair in all the Missouri state ensembles, and I was first chair in Kansas, and we were like, oh my God. And um, she somehow knew that we were related, but it was a, a wacky that we had been doing the exact same thing and didn't really know each other at all. Wow, well, that is strange. Um, I will say one thing about you that I want our listeners to know right off the bat. We are talking in with the principal French hornist for the New Jersey Symphony. And turns out he's just gotten a new job for something else that I'll, I will get to a little later. So, so just so you know, that's who that French horn was, that amazing French horn you heard at the beginning of the introduction. So Chris, tell me, going way back when, like as far back as you can remember, tell me how you first realized music was a part of your life? Well, I grew up in a musical family. Um, uh, so music was always around. My father played piano um, and they both sang in the church choir together. Um, so it was, music was kind of just, I was always surrounded by it. Um, started playing in the school band uh, on trumpet in fourth grade and sixth grade. I switched to French horn because nobody was playing the French horn and kind of right away felt um, a real connection to the French horn. And I think by junior high, I had a feeling that that was something I wanted to try to pursue as a career. Um, basically, I was lucky enough to live in a city with a very good youth orchestra program, Kansas City Youth Orchestras. And uh, my first rehearsal was with the Junior Youth Symphony of Kansas City playing Swan Lake. And before that, I had been playing in my school band with about seven, eight members. And suddenly I'm sitting in a group of about 60 players um, playing Tchaikovsky, and in, this is in sixth grade, wow. and it kind of blew my mind. And uh, nothing's been the same since, <laughs> really. <laughs> well, th okay, that was sixth grade. Now, when I got into music, we started in the fourth grade. That's where, I guess, if you want to call it formal training, kicked in because we started... Everybody started in fourth grade on the song flute. It wasn't until okay. fifth grade that you figured out which instrument you kind of wanted to play. Because you went to that, you know, that, that uh, school event where all the instruments are out there and you walk around and you kind of pick what you want. Sure. Yeah. So how I remember did you... it very well. Yeah. <laughs> what made you go towards French horn? Or was that even your first instrument? Well, I, um, yeah, like I said, I started on trumpet or cornet to be exact, but, uh, you know, every, everybody's playing trumpet 
And my mother knew of a, she had a cousin with a French horn that wasn't being used. And she always said, well, you don't have to stick with that if you want to try something else. And I said, well, yeah, I like to try the French horn. I knew what it was. And um, she brought it home and I I loved the sound and I just, I loved the look of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I also wanted to be different and um, I was much better on the horn than the trumpet. For some reason, it just uh, fit me better. And then I started taking lessons in sixth grade. And um, from there, you know, it just it kind of took off for me. And I, I honestly never even had a second choice of a career because music was the only thing I was really good at. Um, and I just stood me uh, much at all besides music. So it kind of became a logical choice for me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit here uh, just because sure. we're hearing some of the noises out there where you're at. So let's explain why, because I know you've, you're away from your home to get Wi-Fi, but tell me where you are and why you're there. Uh, at a place called the Artist's Refuge at Thunderhead, which is really in the middle of 2007. Um, we have 75 acres and um, we're building cabins. Um, we hope to host um, a festival uh, with a full orchestra in the future. We, we had our first two workshops this summer. We hosted a, a building workshop for uh, cordwood masonry, which is the style of building we use for most of our buildings. And then we had our first French horn workshop uh, and we had nine world-class horn players from all over the country join us for a week of uh, rehearsing and master classes. So I come into Great Falls to get supplies and Wi-Fi. We don't have Wi-Fi or a cell phone at Thunderhead and um, we like it that way and we're going to keep it that way as long as possible because very few places left where you really are forced to um, you just put your phone down and um, forget about it and just enjoy each other's company and the, and the nature. We're completely surrounded by uh, mountainous forest land. Uh, we don't see any other human lights um, and we never will because um, it is all public land around us. Um, and we really can connect with nature and reconnect with our art and our music. Um, I plan to have it be a very diverse place, uh, not just for music, but for painters and dancers and um, actors, folk musicians, um, really artists of all types. uh, And I want them to um, figure out new ways to collaborate, really. Uh, It's one of the main um, things I would like to do out there. And to be clear, you started this, correct? Yeah, in 2007, I managed to um, get enough uh, money together to buy the initial 60 acres. Um, And then over time, we've managed to get a lot of volunteers come out and help us build um, build our structures and um, and it just sort of just mainly word of mouth. Um, we do have a website and we do some social media, but it's mainly word of mouth um, of how we've gotten people to come out there. Mm-hmm. And since I live in New York City during the year, um, it's not been easy to get my colleagues uh, and friends from New York City to come out, but I've been finding that um, the the old saying, if you build it, they will come, and they're they're coming from all over, uh, including all over the world already. We we get a lot of volunteers from um, 
overseas through um, um, a network called the Workaway Network, which is an excellent network for volunteers who traveling the world and looking for a place to sit down for a while and help out a project they believe in and get uh, free room and board. So we get a lot of international volunteers, which is exciting for us too. Do you have any criteria that someone would have to go through or, or you know, have anything that they need to any level of talent or anything like that to be able to go to this? Because it sounds wonderful. Ours, uh, pretty low. I mean, yes, we would like you to be uh, a creative, artistic type of person, but um, right now we're still very much in the building phase, so if you are able-bodied and eager and don't mind roughing it a bit um, and love being in the middle of the wilderness, then, um, you know, by all means, uh, contact us because um, we're, we're still able to host almost everyone who, who wants to come. I mean, at a certain point, it's, it's going to be... Um, that's going to be difficult. We'll have to start to um, limit the amount of volunteers. Uh, but right now, we, we really can still, if if some if people are willing to camp, sometimes we have overflow and we do have people camping, but uh, we can host about 15 people inside now in our various cabins. Um, but still, really, we able to accommodate most everyone who who wants to come and that's exactly what i was going to ask you where you say you call it camping so are they in cabins do they have running water i mean when you say camping i'm guessing it's rough a little bit <laughs> beginning i mean I, like i said there was nothing out there so the first few years we were uh using solar showers, um, but um, we do have fairly um, fairly nice cabins with uh, hot showers. And um, I think I counted, we have um, two, two flush toilets and four hot showers at the moment and several other compost uh, bathrooms set up. Um, so, yes, yeah, you'll be in a tent some nights, but you can wake up to a hot shower and a hot meal. And uh, it's, um, you know, it's as nice as any luxury campground, I would say. <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're camping, I mean, truly camping, like, like we did when we were out at uh, Camp Tanazona, <laughs> that was luxury. We had nice beds, nice cabins, a, a chef cooking for us and so that wasn't really roughing it but okay <laughs> yeah and i and i want to also well we don't we don't have a full-time chef <laughs> no uh we don't have a full-time chef uh we hope to in the future um but we do we like to have all the volunteers sign up for different meals and cook a little bit of the world but um I imagine at some point we will probably be able to hire a full-time chef for Thunderhead. Mm -hmm. I'm still uh, taking applications for that, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope this gets out there in the right ears somewhere. Maybe the universe will bring that chef to you. If I could remember the chef that we had, I would definitely send him to you. He was, uh, I mean, he really actually was uh, a guy that was, able to exist out in the rough. I mean, to the point of where we had a scare from one of our tuba players sitting out on the steps by a rattlesnake in the afternoon. In the evening, oh. we were having rattlesnake for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. And it tasted good, too. <laughs>
Um, yeah. I, I made the fatal mistake of somewhat comparing your, your retreat to Interlochen, which, where, which is where I've been five years in a row. But um, I, mm. I just want to make oh, wow. it true that, or, or make the statement that they are not alike at all like opposite polar ends, well no really. yeah not yet anyway we're still very much in the beginning stages um but i definitely uh i do plan to be able to host interlocking type activities and have uh youth programs and um like i said a full orchestra at some point we got a long ways to go but i mean we have the space we have 75 gorgeous acres it's mostly usable to build on um and so it's a it's a it's a grand vision and um it's gonna keep growing long after i die and and everyone asks me when it's gonna be finished and i say well if, if it's half done by the time i croak i will be a happy man um and that's a true that is a true statement. It's it's a big it's a big vision. I just realized that um, we just need more places like this. I was very influenced by the Banff Center for the Arts in Banff, Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, I did a jazz workshop there for two summers. Mm -hmm. uh, beautiful setting, uh, really incredible facilities, and all you had to do was uh, focus on your art and your music while you were there and um it changed my life you know those those types of places really without distractions you can start to really find out who you are and what you want to do with your music and um i just i think the world needs more places like that i couldn't agree with you more i mean literally i would not be talking to you if it weren't for interlocking because the director of bands at Arizona State University, Dr. Richard E. Strange, may he rest in peace, was the director up there. And the program I was in, because I was local, was the two-week program, because it was called All-State. Because if you're in-state, you, you do the two-week All-State program. So you're up there mm -hmm. for two weeks with all these kids from all over the state, and you give a concert each week. Well, Dr. Strange was not shy. He's like, we're going to dig into Vincent Persichetti and you're going to give a good concert in a week. I was impressed. Mm. <laughs> I was very yeah. impressed. So he gave his spiel about how nice it is down here and warm and no snow. And he had me at warm, but the no snow helped. So <laughs> I can't. I came down here to go to school, and and I also met his son up there, who's uh, Phil Strange, Philip Strange. He plays an absolute incredible jazz piano, which I know you can relate to, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, I, I just literally wouldn't be down here mm -hmm. if it wasn't for that. So I wouldn't have met Teresa, your cousin, second cousin, and... Mm. by talking to you so these places are very important very important and i still have friends from so you were in mm. yeah i i was kind of a festival junkie i um in college i did the um the national repertory orchestra in colorado i played spoleto festival i did the marlboro music festival for three summers uh i did the blossom Chamber Music Festival, um, Alexander Snyder Orchestra in New York over Christmas. Uh, I was, a, I just couldn't get enough of them. Mm. And then, um, as a professional, there's there's not that many summer um, orchestras that pay a, a good salary for professionals. That, if your orchestra doesn't have a summer season like ours, New Jersey Symphony doesn't have a summer season. So I was trying to get on with uh, Santa Fe Opera or the Teton Festival Orchestra or the Colorado um, Music Festival, but had no luck. Mm -hmm. And really, um, 
besides freelancing in New York City in the summer, I just didn't have much going on in the summer. Um, so uh, that was another reason. I'll start my own festival, you know, if I, <laughs> right. nobody wants me. Um, We'll 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 do we'll do our own and we'll make it bigger and better as uh, you know and they'll all uh, they'll they'll, 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 they'll all be wishing the they day. had started something like me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I fuel fuel for the fire. That's right. Well, if I can help fuel that fire by telling you that, to me, I've probably made, uh, I am having, uh, I'm taking piano lessons virtually from one of the friends I met up at Interlochen in one of those two-week sessions, still to this day. And oh, wow. that was decades ago. So you make tight, you know, tight relationships at those places just because of the environment. So... You keep on keeping Absolutely. on. I've got some notes on you, buddy boy. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many things written down, I don't know where to start. But I am going to actually start with one that, that really intrigues me. And that's that you toured with Barbara Streisand. Did you happen to be on that concert from her backyard, One Voice. Were you in that? No. <sighs> I did uh, the one at the, it was kind of her first big tour um, after her long hiatus from performing in public. It was called The Concert. Uh, started in Madison Square Garden and we did a few concerts in um, a few other places um, but that was that was uh, her first big uh, kind of coming out after not performing in public for put together a 55 piece orchestra for that and mm. um, it was a real kick in the pants to get to perform with her and uh, really the first chance chance I got to play with all the A-list studio <laughs> folks from New York City um, and uh, and then I did a few she did a couple more tours after that I I did a, a seven-week European tour with her uh, a few years later and then there was another American tour um, a few year, few years after that so but yeah, great, great experience. Um, she treated the musicians very, very well. She, she knew we made her sound good, and um, she was always on our good side um, all the time. And um, I, I honestly have more respect for her than ever after performing with her and just seeing how she handles herself in front of twenty thousand screaming fans. It's, it's incredible. I would, I would be just like a pile of jelly like i wouldn't know what to do and she was just calm and collect yeah well if they came to see me i mean when she walked out that first night in madison square garden after 20 years um she got like a 10 minute standing ovation before she could even say a single word (laughs) like the place was i mean it was it was uh it was it was insane yeah, that... only sang, uh, sang beautifully, and I was so impressed by that. I was like, "How does she have? How does she have the just the the nerves to, to be able to just do that?" I don't know. Well, that's funny because when if you watch, and I'm sure you can probably catch it on YouTube at some point when you get back to civilization. I mean, um, you know, when you have Wi-Fi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You can hear the concert one voice from her backyard. And same thing, when she first came out, they were applauding so heavily. When she was trying to sing, uh, at one point it got to her. <laughs> and she let a little, you know, cry, sniffle, no. spoof out kind of thing. 
very touching concert because mm -hmm. you could just tell how appreciative the audience was. Yeah, I think wasn't that a, a private benefit concert that she gave? Yeah, I think it was five hundred bucks not a sure. or something like that. Yeah. Yes. So I wanted to talk about because I touched on it. Somebody not only plays piano, I mean French horn, but they play piano. And that might be you, but you know, I don't want to give it away. Because <laughs> it's not me. Before I get yeah. to that though, you play well, jazz. Well, yeah, my horn. um Yeah, I um I do um I do get a chance to do that a fair amount in New York City. Um, there's not too many people that improvise on the French horn. Um, so um, it's my kind of my secret life uh, as an improv, just an improv, improvising musician. I, um, when I play piano, I, it's mostly free improv uh, and my own music. Mm -hmm. And as a French horn, it's, it's, you know, it's just, um, you don't grow up in the jazz part of music. You're, you're not playing in the junior high jazz band. You're not playing in a high school jazz band, college. Once in a while, there'll be a big band chart with two French horns. Um, but you just don't get a chance to do it very mm -hmm. often. So it's, we always felt like, outsiders in the jazz world but i if you're proactive enough um you can kind of get your get your foot in there and and um you know i set my apartment up with a drum set acoustic bass and a nice piano and i call my own sessions because no one's really calling me to do uh <laughs> sessions which is how you really get better you rehearse with with other jazz musicians, so I just call them myself. Exactly. Does this sound familiar? Oh, yeah, Paquito de Rivera. Yes. Did you have this written for you? Is that what I heard? Yes, Paquito uh, was... Uh, an old friend that I met when we commissioned him to write a piece for the Aspen Wind Quintet, which I was a member of. Mm -hmm. And then later, um, the New Jersey Symphony decided to commission a jazz French horn concerto. And I got to pick four composers and he was one of the four. So he wrote a movement of this uh, jazz horn concerto. And then COVID hit. Oh. And we um, we got delayed, uh, but in the meantime, he had written a small group version of it, and this this is what you're hearing is a is that movement reduced to a um, uh, small group, and he was um, we did this remotely during COVID. Um, we put this together. I. I actually recorded my part out in Montana. Right. I thought and, I saw um, that, the, the, the outdoors. And then we finally... Fi yeah, and, and we finally performed it with the orchestra about a year, uh, a little over a year ago, in June uh, 2022, after being delayed for... You know, and um, I... Um, I, I thought the project, which which they took a big chance, you know, they really didn't know what it was going to turn out to be a, a jazz French horn concerto. No one had ever really done it um, with full orchestra, and and uh, I got to, I got to pick the trio, the piano, bass, and drum uh, musicians. I got to hand pick them as well, which I, was very important to me to get the right trio. Um, but the project came out very well, and I was so happy that they took a chance um, on doing something like that. And, and maybe they'll they'll do something like that again in the future, maybe with a different instrument. But um, 
it really it's hard to blend jazz and classical well especially with a full orchestra but uh, i thought the the four different composers um did a really nice job of that yeah it's very cool very very well done i mean i don't know i have no idea how old you were when you did that but man your sound is so nice so nice so mellow uh well the project with paquito um the the video that we made i think i recorded that in 2020 the summer the COVID hit yeah that was summer of 2020 mm-hmm. so we're well, not that long ago yeah so so you're still good is what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> hopefully i still sound that good i bet you do i um i also have a note here that and I am extremely, well, I shouldn't say I'm jealous because I don't know that I, I could do it. But I also understand you played with the Blue Devils when you were 17 years old. That's right. That's right. Wow. You really are digging up some, <laughs> <laughs> some of my, some of my, my past. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a fantastic summer. I, I honestly um, also changed my life you know just getting to play with an ensemble of that caliber at that young of an age mm-hmm. uh really turns you into um you know um someone who's just dedicated serious and and you just realize what it takes to be successful how much work it takes to you know compete against everyone else you know i mean the, the drum corps is a very competitive activity so you're always you're competing every show it's um and, and you know you you eat sleep live drum corps all day uh, from sun up to sundown but you you wouldn't have it any other way you know that's just that's what you wanted to do yeah and, um, well, i think gymnasiums I was going to say, you said it when you said about living it and it's your life and being dedicated because I think you're about to allude to it. It's your practices in gymnasiums and stuff. I got the pleasure of trailing around uh, some of the cores, uh, Vanguard, Blue Devils, and watching some of their rehearsals blew me away. I mean, you, you have to be dedicated to want to do that eight steps for a, you know a week no absolutely <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely but when you're 17 what else are you gonna do you know what else are you gonna do everything but um, that <laughs> we <laughs> yeah we on tour we all of us slept in gymnasiums you know um and we were on tour most most of the summer, mm-hmm. um, but you learn how to get along with and live with 132 people, and uh, yeah, it can be intense. But you you also develop those kinds of skills mm-hmm. while you're mm-hmm. doing it. Right. But the you know the Blue Devils played jazz, um, so then you know I, again I got to play some jazz French horn bugle. I was still. I was still, well, they were still marching French horn bugles back then, and I played um, my French horn mouthpiece, and it was the same overtone series as. And now we got the swing, you know. I'm so I'm playing, we're playing, uh, you know, Chick Corea, we're playing Chuck Mangione, uh, Stan uh-huh. Kenton uh-huh. charts. Did did uh, you were you yeah. in that group that played La Suerte de los Tantos? That was the the summer before, and uh, <sighs> well. 79-80, that was the two summers before they did that. That was one of my all-time favorite Blue Devil tunes. So, Mine yes. too, man. Mine no, I did, I did not get to... <laughs> <laughs> So you go back too, then, if you remember that. That's I, uh, that's going back. I, I was there back. at their performance for that. Oh, talk about raising the hair on your arms. I was so just 
massively impressed. Um, that, by the way, Blue Devils was is my favorite core, still is. Wow, yeah, well, they're still good. They're still good. Well, let's let's uh, let's give you another little blast from the past here. Let's see how you react to this one. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> We got a bunch of the the old French horn players from all, not just my year, but several different years. Uh, we got together and um, did, did a recording project that ended up on, um, some of it ended up on a Blue Devil uh, alumni CD that was being sold at the shows to help raise money for the Blue Devils. Wow. But, uh, oh yeah, that was a kick in the pants. <laughs> see all see all some old friends and uh play some of those old charts that was great fun yeah. great fun <laughs> i can imagine because as soon as i saw that i was like wait blue devil alums oh this is gonna be good <laughs> this has got to be good I was like wait yeah. i had to double check it's like let me read the yeah. names yep chris is in here oh he's gonna hate me for this <laughs> Yeah. So how... I, I was the one with the long hair and the baseball cap. It's hard to see it. The video wasn't that great. Let me. Oh, were you right here in front? Yeah, I was. I was on the end. Yeah. I was playing mostly all the hype. Interesting. Um. So how did you go from French horn to piano? Well, I always um. You know, the way I stayed interested in jazz was I kept playing in the jazz groups on different instruments. In junior high, I played trumpet in the jazz band. In high school, I actually got an, um, my dad found a trombone at a garage sale and I, uh, for 10 bucks, and I ended up playing trombone in the jazz band in high school. And in college, um, I guess I figured it was time to get a little more serious about the French horn. And then I um, stopped playing trombone and then uh, started playing more piano. I, I had always played piano. We had a piano at home and I always kind of played by ear. My mom played great piano, but she never, she never tried to push lessons on me ever. Mm -hmm. uh, she just let me play by ear and, and I, I just kept going with it in college. I decided that uh, I could play by ear well enough to kind of uh, get into the jazz group. So I was playing piano in small combos and I even got my reading chops good enough to play in the second big band at, at Wichita State, which is where I went to college my first three years. Mm -hmm. And I uh, ended up playing with some really great jazz drummer nowadays. He was the drummer in the second big band at Wichita State, and I was the pianist in that band. And uh, Matt, Matt now is um, one of the biggest uh, named jazz drummers in New York City, and has played with nearly everybody. And was uh, was my roommate at Wichita State, and was always uh, you know playing. He he had an incredible vinyl collection of jazz, and I hadn't really heard much. <laughs> So every day I come home and stick on another one of his vinyl records. And um, he was always encouraging me to play jazz on the French horn. One of the first people to really do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I always thank him for that. And um, that was another 
lucky break to to live in college with with someone who turns out to be one of the world's greatest jazz drummers and um just hanging out with him and and listening to music with him and just being uh, uh, around him when he's excited to to turn me on to all the different music that he already uh, knew about it was right. it really opened my my whole world um jazz wise opens your vocabulary up there you can name names did i miss his name uh matt wilson matt wilson, matt wilson. i mean he's kind of a household name in new york city um and and does have some albums out as a leader chops or classical chops whatever probably got a little bit of boost when you went to Tanglewood you went to the Manhattan School of Music you taught at Princeton <laughs> you've got quite a few bits of still, experience still teaching going on. yeah I still teach at Princeton still teaching at Princeton um, love it love it yeah. Um, yeah. What What are you teaching? Yeah, um, Manhattan School. Just French horn. I just teach French horn. Uh -huh. uh, and coach uh, some of the smaller groups like brass quintet or uh, woodwind quintets. Um, but yeah, coming to New York, going to Manhattan School of Music was also... Um, life-changing just just getting to new york city then then new york becomes your education you know just going out all the time to hear uh music and musicians that you just never heard before it, and it's i mean that it's new york today is still kind of the mecca for young young and try to make it it's still it's still the Mecca. So there, there's so many incredible young players and um, just, just getting to hear them on a regular basis. It just kind of, um, there, there's nothing, you, you just can't, you, uh, have, you have to have the, the there's no way to, there's no way to that. imitate that. Yeah. Now you, yeah, I'm guessing you have because, to be there. and that, that's exactly where I was headed. Um, you have to be there, and to be there, you've got to have the venues that that are accessible. So I think that's why here I'm in Phoenix. So there's a, a a ton of really, really, really fine musicians here, but you can't walk up and down a street and you know hit three jazz clubs in an evening. Things are kind mm -hmm. of spread out, so. You have to go to that jazz club when that person's playing, you know. So you, you've got to make more of an effort. You're not just mm -hmm. going to cruise the street and go, let's go in this place tonight. I, I imagine New York gives you a right. much, much more yeah, that's, rich experience because of that. Yeah, and sometimes I would just head down to the village not really knowing where I'm going to go. I just kind of bop around and see who's playing where and like, um, you know, he, he inevitably I'll, I'll say, oh my God, Joel from Brad Meldow sitting in with who? And um, you just, uh, 
I don't really make a plan. You just go down there and you just, like you said, there's so many clubs within a few blocks and you just kind of bop from one to the other and um, uh, just, just find out who's playing once you get down there. Some of those clubs don't really even advertise much. Um, but anyway, yeah, there's, there's no substitute for that. Um, and you know, now, now, um, some of the clubs are charging more money, but back in the day, you could go down for hardly any money and hear Mm, like some Mike Stern at the 55 bar or, uh, you know, um, Kurt Rosenwinkel at Smalls for, for no money. And, um, Unfortunately, 55 Bar, which was one of the institutions in the village, closed down last year. And um, it's a real travesty um, because that was such um, just just an institution. I must have saw 100 shows at 55 Bar. Well, I uh, I don't know. The owners wanted more rent money and um it, there's nothing in there it's dark now it's been dark for a year so they're not making any money now but uh, i don't really know why it closed down but um you know it was it, it was right there on christopher there would be lines around the block depending on who was who was playing in there um but um Real, real tragedy makes makes you uh, really wonder where the world is heading when places like that close down. Well, it was a jazz place, place where you could see jazz. Because in the U.S., that's that's kind of uh, been going on for a while. The exodus of jazz venues and uh, jazz artists because they're going over to Europe to play because Europe still appreciates jazz. Yeah, and pays, and they, and they get paid more. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I want to um, I want to play one more quick thing here because I know I want to be cognizant of your time because I think you have a hard stop. Um, let's see what you think of this. Chris, <laughs> this whole CD is really powerful. Did you write this? Wow, nice, nice. Ch- all the oh, I wrote all the songs on that CD. Nice choice, nice choice. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's one of my faves, I think, from from the CD. Yeah. Uh yeah, that's my um, my solo piano CD entitled "Traveling Music," and it's. Available uh, to stream on, uh, you know, all the streaming services. Um, so, yeah, it's my other secret life as a closet jazz pianist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> closet? Man. Performing public on piano. It's, it's only, uh, I only do that. I have a really nice piano in my apartment. That's the only place I really play. I mean, I'll sometimes do house concerts there but that's about it man you're killing me smalls <laughs> it's time for another it's time for... i know well i you can i um stuff out there. i'm just intimidated by the other ten thousand. yeah well i finally got it out on you know the streaming which is a, that was a big step because i hadn't it wasn't available anywhere except in a box in my apartment uh, i think i sold maybe 10 <laughs> cds total because yeah you have to perform to to sell your cds yeah yeah so piano cd um i play i play all the time and i'm, I'm definitely gotten better since that 
since that CD came out. So uh, wow. it's about time. It's also about time for my own jazz horn CD too. I've been talking about doing that forever, and uh, yeah, you know, it's about time for, for that to happen too. I'm gonna hook you up with Phil Strain. Nothing on. He he can be your pianist. Okay, I've, I, 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 I that name sounds so familiar to me. Yeah, he he came but, um, out of Arizona State University as well. Like I said, his his father, Doctor Strange, is the one that brought me down here, and I met him up at Interlocket. He's on my one of my right. tunes. So yeah, you you and him, and then I'm sure he can find the bass and the drums, and there's your. And we can find it here too when you come. Oh, through. I got guys. I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I know my band. I mean, if I ever do this the jazz record, I already know who, who the guys are I want to play with. But uh, just um, just need to, just need to do it. Just need to do it. I've been, you know, I'm a side, a side man jazz hornet on a, a whole slew of records um name but i have yet to put out a jazz horn record under my own name oh the side the side uh well i i still play a couple of her records oh you have to say uh, that again it broke up jamie baum b jamie baum b-a-u-m uh-oh i think we lost you Okay, he's reconnecting, so are you there? Yeah. Ah, there you are. All right, well. Sorry, I didn't know what, I know what happened there. All I heard was bomb. But oh. Some of the folks. Well, I just listed with. about 20 <laughs> projects that I played <laughs> with. Um. I I could list them again uh, if you'd like. Just just some sideman projects. Mm -hmm. um, played on uh, Donnie McCaslin's record, uh, Kurt Rosenwinkel. Um, I played a, a sub with um, McCoy Tyner Big Band. I played with the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra Winton's Group. Um, Jeez, um, Charlie Pillow. Um, I, you know, that that's kind of been my niche in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a is a jazz sideman, jazz French horn sideman. Um, Ryan Ryan Keberly, uh different different guys. But yes, uh, it's time for my own record under my own name with my. The people that I want to play with, some and some of my compositions. Yes, absolutely. Some of my piano tunes off that first record might work well um, with a small group. Not a hard stop, Tony at six either. If you want to go over a little bit. Okay, I just well, I mean, I I am really great with what you've gotten so far. There was just one last thing that I kind of wanted to go sure. over, and that was the the whole um your new job with the miami city ballet which you said miami right florida as in florida <laughs> how are you yes. doing miami florida as in and new florida. jersey at the same time <laughs> well uh the jersey symphony has um 29 weeks of work uh Miami City Ballet, I'll be playing with them about 10 weeks. So they kind of dovetail, and um, they're both flexible enough that I can take off when I need to. Mm. Um, incidentally, I'm also playing uh, with another group in Miami called the New Deco Ensemble. Um, I'm already a member of that group. So I've been going down to Miami uh, a fair amount already, and that's kind of how I got... Um, connected with uh, some of the people with the ballet mm -hmm. but um, I'm excited it's supposed to be a fantastic orchestra and the 
world-class ballet company and I get to go to Miami in the wintertime. And <laughs> when I'm done playing the Nutcracker, I can go sit by my uh, swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> You've got that so, path down, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what I was saying. You can always come down here to Arizona. Uh, I'll hook you up with some players and you guys can play jazz, French horn. And uh, I, honestly, all seriousness, all kidding aside, um, there's a venue out here called the Musical Instrument Museum, the MIM. Um, it's mm. a beautiful venue. And you would be a different entertainment group down here. I would love to get that worked out. I'll, I'll be your, your boots on the ground if we could work that out. Well, I would appreciate that, and I would be very interested in, um, in doing that. I, I, I do realize, yeah, that I, it is kind of a niche thing, and if I uh, did a little bit of um, self-managing um, and self-promoting and, and self-booking, I mean, I don't think it would be that difficult to um, to to drum up some some nice work. Yeah. Um, Not with your. But resume. I, I <laughs> it's really for me. It just seems, yeah, it's just a daunting task. I I see how much work it takes for people to put together even a small little tour of three four dates. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's a daunting task to do that and i and the, the time involved is something at the at the moment i just i can't project out here in montana um taking a lot of my free time during, even during the year i have to plan and try to raise raise money for um it's um it, it truly kind of uh i mean it is my life's project so i i'm happy to devote the amount of time I do mm-hmm. to it, but it does take um, take up a lot of my my free time when I'm not playing. But I, you know, it's all about uh, priorities and prioritizing which kind of playing you want to do, um, and um, right now I prefer to keep contracts with um, orchestras mm-hmm. for health insurance reasons. Um, right. I love playing with orchestras. I love just just trying to make music with 60, 70 people at a time is hugely challenging, but hugely satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a different kind of satisfaction, but um, I still love it. I, I, I love my job uh, as, as principal horn in the New Jersey Symphony. It's a fantastic orchestra, uh, getting better all the time. And um, 
I, I, I get, if I don't play enough jazz, I come home and do it on my piano and that, <laughs> that kind of keeps me balanced. And then coming out to the life living in Manhattan in New York city, which is, it's also can be very, um, exhausting and stressful. Yeah. So that, that kind of, so far, um, coming out here for three months gets me recharged enough to, uh, to, to, to go full head, uh, full steam ahead in New York for another nine months, mm-hmm. um, with all of the different things that I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I saw some of the fun stuff you were doing on YouTube, that one tune where you were, well, I don't know how many parts was it? 12, I think where you were all in the square. Oh, the Till Eulenspiegel. <laughs> oh yeah, that was fun. That was a, I, I, that was a COVID project. Yeah. That I kept me imagine. out of trouble for a few months. Um, yeah. The name. That was a, I had an arrangement of the Till Eulenspiegel um, for 10 French horns. And I thought, well, that, that would be, f-. I never played it. Uh, but I thought, well, that'd be fun to record all the parts and, uh, make a little video and, and inspired by Jacob Collier and some of his videos where he, you know, sings eight, 10, 12 parts and dressed up differently. I, I turned each guy into a separate character and yeah. I actually <laughs> I have all this other footage of interviews I did with each one of them. And, uh, I'm going to edit it all down and make a. I had a lot of choreographed bickering between the members too that wasn't was wasn't put into the final video. But um, it's I got I got hours and hours of footage that I'm gonna someday edit down into something sh- should be really funny. I drove my New York neighbors completely nuts <laughs> during COVID because over uh, and over and over. Yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm surprised no one took out a took out a shotgun and just <laughs> got rid of me. But you pulled out the New York. Shut the up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even get that. I didn't even get a shut up. I I was really su- surprised, but I I think people were just everyone was at home, and uh, they were just kind of like, well, there's that weird dude again playing the French horn and playing the same thing. But um, you know, that's what that's COVID. That's what we that's what we that's had we're to gonna have to live with for now. And yeah. no, and I, no one even told me to shut up. Wow. You got lucky. They probably knew, hey, he's a character. Oh. <laughs> Just let him go. <laughs> well, they knew. I mean, I had already been practicing sporadically. They, you know, they'd heard that before. But, I mean, and I guess they felt sorry for me not being able to perform in my normal places. So they they put up with me. <laughs> so. Well, that's pretty cool. If I think if they knew half of the stuff you did, they would have been at your door wanting to come in and, and actually be the audience. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're a pretty humble yeah. guy for what you've what you've done in your days here. Well thanks, Anthony.
Yeah, my pleasure. Okay, well, I will, on that note, say have a pleasant rest of the retreat slash... It's a retreat, right? Artist retreat or artist refugee? It's a... Uh, we call it a refuge. Refuge. Which is very apropos these days. <laughs> I feel uh, apropos term than retreat. Okay. So, yeah. I, I hope the... The refuge goes well, the artist refuge. You get lots of folks out there, and hopefully this will help spread the word a little more. Uh, you know, yeah. Because every little bit helps, and I'm more than willing Absolutely. To, to put the put the word out. So, And I'm also going to talk to Mim. I don't care if you don't have the time. I'll just try to get the ball rolling. <laughs> <laughs> see what we can do and uh i want to i'm looking forward to that horn cd because i was actually looking for it and couldn't find anything that was just horn i found the piano but not the horn so i will be looking forward yeah. to that it, it will happen it will i'm sure it one will. of these days i'm sure it will well, thank you, sir. Um, have a great evening. Appreciate your time. And uh, we will call it an evening. Oh, Tony, thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the chance to just, uh, you know, tell people about the project. And because, um, like I said, word of mouth is still my best uh tool and um the best tool because you get to talk to someone who's been there usually or knows of it thanks for having me man yeah absolutely really. my pleasure my pleasure all right thanks for joining us on this episode of music the bed of life that was chris comer principal french horn for the new jersey symphony also plays down in miami plays around new york or at least listens around New York. And we hope you come back to the next episode. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. To get more information on the Artist Refuge at Thunderhead, visit www.thunderheadartistrefuge.com on the web. A personal request from founder Chris Comer is to spread the word far and wide. For more information about this episode and past episodes, go to www.musicthebedoflife.com. Please like, share, subscribe and follow to stay informed of new episodes. Join your host, Anthony V. Simiel, on the next quest to discover how music plays such an important part of our lives and the many individuals responsible for making it happen.